0: This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. The scripture this morning is from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. You can find it on page 901 in your pew Bible. John fifteen verses one and two. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Good morning. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys. This morning, my name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. Um Happy Memorial Day. I hope that you are having a good weekend. Um, I'm really glad to spend this morning here uh, with all of you guys. Hey, before we get into our super long text and passage uh, for today... Um, I do want to just talk about a couple things that you can kind of expect uh, in the summer months. We normally try to slow down our rhythms uh, as a church over the summer. We're going to do that too here in a few ways. We want to really give ourselves uh, space to invest in relationships, uh, to spend time praying with and for each other, praying for our church, praying for our world. So we're going to um, pretty much put pause on everything other than our second Sunday cook Outs, which, for the last two months, have been on the fourth Sunday, um, but moving forward will actually be on the second Sunday, um, so we 're going to stop lying to you. Um, and do that. So come out to that. Uh, we also are going to kind of scale back a little bit in our Redeemer Kids ministries. So uh, starting next week at the 8:30 service, uh, we are not going to have pre-K through elementary over in Luther Hall. We'll still have everything here: ones, twos, and three-year-olds. Uh, but at the 8:30, uh, we're not going to have anything over there. We'll still have full stuff for the 10:30. So if that makes a difference for you and the way that you come to church, uh, adjust accordingly. Also, we're looking for about nine more volunteers to help out over the summer uh, with kids, so if you are looking for a way to uh, jump in to uh, spend some time discipling kids in our church, uh, we would love to talk to you about what that means and what that looks like. So, those are your announcements. Uh, Let's pray, and then let's talk about these two verses in John 15. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that everything that we sang about uh, is true. That you are good. Objectively. You, you are good. You are faithful. You have always been faithful. And you always will be faithful. And you're always doing everything that you intend to do. Even when our lives are crazy. When our world is Broken when our church is broken, you are always here with us, hands-on accomplishing everything that you set out to do. So God, will you give us faith? Will you give us hope? Will you give us love? Will you do all the things that we can't actually do for ourselves? Uh, because you're the one, you're the one who brings fruit. You're the one who does all the work. All we can do is hold on to you. So, so Jesus, will you um, help us to hold on to you, come what may. I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we are spending a few weeks, a few months in Jesus's final teaching to his disciples in John 14 through 16. It's normally called the Farewell Discourse. It's the night before Jesus is about to be betrayed by a close friend, handed over to the Roman authorities, crucified, and all of the hopes, dreams, expectations, longings that his followers had seem to be about to die, and Jesus knows what's coming. He's, he's not caught off guard. He's not surprised uh, at, at what's going on. But he knows that his followers are going to be. He knows that they actually need him to explain not everything that's happening, but how they can actually hold on to him and have peace. Don't let their hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled, even when the worst happens. So we're spending time just looking at, if Jesus said that to them, he didn't just say it to them, he said to us, what does that mean for us when our lives are falling apart, where we can't understand what's going on, when there are plenty of reasons for our hearts to be troubled? Because there are a ton of reasons for our hearts to be troubled, right? Uh, We turn on the news and we see shootings back-to-back in Buffalo and Texas, and we wonder, like, what happened? like, how did we get to this place there 's plenty of opportunity for our hearts to be troubled when we look into the world there 's opportunities for our hearts to be troubled when we look at what 's happening in the church, broadly in the United States, with massive scandals coming out and huge denominations and things being pulled back and not and realizing, oh man, things were not the way that I thought they were. There's plenty of reasons for our hearts to be troubled. There's reasons for our hearts to be troubled in our own church as we are confronted with sin, immaturity, arrogance, and all these ways that we've actually fallen short. And so it's not an abstract thing. I think for us today, knowing what I know about just what's generally going on in the world, let alone what's going on in your own personal lives and in your own personal hearts, there's plenty of opportunities for our hearts to be troubled. So it's important that we actually hold fast to what Jesus says, because Jesus actually says that the way to have a heart that is steadfast, that experiences the peace of God, is to believe in God and to believe also in him. And then he spends a lot of time talking about exactly what that means and what that looks like. And what I want to do today is talk about something that I think is kind of surprising that Jesus does in that context. Because in the middle of all of that, in the middle of talking about like, how he's not going to leave us alone, how he's going to send his spirit, how um, the way that we follow God is by loving each other genuinely, he, he spends time in kind of like the climactic point in his teaching to talk about discipline, to talk about the way that God disciplines his people. And so the question I have is, wh- what, what does that have to do with not having a troubled heart. What is the fact that God is this zealous vine keeper who's committed to producing fruit, to trimming, to purifying, to cutting away? How does that actually help us to hold fast to Jesus and to have a heart that is fixed and steadfast on him? So that's why I want to that's what I want to talk about today. Um, before we get into that, let me just give you a little bit of context. We talked, we talked a little bit about John 15 more broadly last week. Let me give you a little bit more context on the chapter in total before jumping into talking about um, God's discipline. Uh, John 15 is kind of one of the highlights, the high points in all of the Bible, where we see the kind of relationship that God created us to have with him. God didn't make us to have a relationship with him that is cold, distant, far away, disconnected, where we're just kind of doing what he says and hoping that things work out. Jesus actually says the kind of relationship that he is calling us into is a relationship that is as close and intimate as a branch has with A vine. He's using this kind of uh, common image and picture in a land that was full of vineyards, in a land that was full of people who were um, really familiar with the work of agriculture to say, like, hey, if you want to know who I am and how I relate to you, it's like that. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. And the call of this passage over and over and over again is to abide to stay connected to, to remain fixed on Jesus. And Jesus says when we do this, we're going to actually experience the power of fruitfulness and fruit bearing that comes from what theologians like to call union with Christ. You might be wondering, hey, what, does, what, what, what is fruit? When Jesus talks about bearing fruit, what does that mean? Uh, really simply, I think it means kind of like two things. It talks about internal realities inside of us, things that God is forming in us to make us more like him, to make us more like Jesus. You see, like, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we abide in Jesus, it's producing all of those things inside of us. And it's also talking about um, the way that those internal realities get worked out in the world. So when God does uh, cultivates fruit inside of us, it's actually for the sake of participating in what God is doing to uh, bear and cultivate fruit throughout the entire world. So it's participating. Participating in God's mission. It's bearing witness to the goodness of Jesus no matter where we are. And Jesus says that God is committed to making that happen no matter what. And this is really important for us Um, Jesus does not call us to bear fruit. That's actually not the command in this passage. The command in this passage is not to fixate on fruit or fruitfulness. What is the command in this passage? Over and over and over again. It's to abide. So to stay connected with Jesus. And when we do that, we experience this life that we have in him. And then Jesus explains how that's going to happen. And how that's going to happen in verse 2 is through the work of his father, who is so hands-on committed to his people that it's like a gardener or a vine dresser who is always actively at work cutting, trimming, pruning, cleansing, purifying this vine so that it can bear more fruit. Another way of saying that is the father is committed to discipline because all of those things, all of those like words and descriptors that we see in verse 2 are actually ways of saying that God is so passionately committed to his people, to his church, to you, and to me, that he's going to get hands-on with us. And he's going to do things in our lives that are painful, uncomfortable, confusing, so that we can become more like Him. I think it's really important for us to know and understand that in a time when we do experience trouble in our hearts and our lives, when we're confused about what's going on, when we can't make sense of where God is and what God is doing, it's important to know that what we're going through isn't random, it's not pointless. Jesus is actually inviting us to broaden our horizon, broaden our perspective, not just look at the, like, the immediate causes of things falling apart in front of us, but to actually look at what God is doing in the middle of all of that, which is cultivating, trimming, pruning to bring more life, to bring more fruit. So I want to I do three things today. I want to talk about um, understanding what discipline means, what discipline is. I want to talk about what it might be like when we experience or how we ex- might experience God's discipline. And I want to talk about how do we uh, respond to God's discipline. So first of all, um, understanding discipline. Let's, let's just read um, John 15, 1 through maybe 3. I don't know. If I want to go further, I'll go further than that. Um, John 15. John 15. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, so abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified. So this, this passage sets out this kind of central reality that we see all throughout the Bible. God is like a farmer. God's like a vine dresser. Um, He's not some cosmic CEO that is divvying out commands and just trying to uh, make sure that things happen. He's actually pictured as someone who goes, gets his hands dirty in the dirt, is hands-on, looks at every single branch, knows exactly what every single branch, every single plant needs, and is going to do whatever is necessary to cultivate and bring deeper life. So if there are places of unhealth, if there are places where things are rotten, dead, or dying, what's he going to do? He's going to cut it off. Why is he going to do that? Not because he's mad or angry. He's doing it so that there can actually be more health, more life, more fruit born in the plant overall. He's also going to take things that look pretty healthy, right? You see, you see that in John 15 verse uh, 2. He doesn't just uh, take away the branches that don't bear fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it might bear more fruit, and so um, Jesus knows that his disciples, his followers, are really familiar with this imagery because all throughout the Old Testament, this is the story of God. The story of God, um, especially in places like Isaiah chapter 5, is this gardener who goes out and plants a vineyard. He cultivates it. He tends to it. He says, this is my people that I am planting, cultivating so that it can bring fruit into the world. And again, we, we, we just heard what fruit is. It's like, it's the, the reflection of God's character. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So he calls Israel, plants Israel as this vineyard and says, hey, your job is to remain in me. And uh, as you do that, you're going to bear fruit that is going to fill the entire world with my presence, with my purposes. And he's going to be zealously, actively working to bring about fruit in that place. The problem was, um, Israel was really bad at doing that. That's the story of the Old Testament over and over and over again. Unless you get too judgmental, we're really bad at doing that also, right? Israel's story is our story. We consistently fall short. We consistently miss the mark. We consistently get focused on ourselves all over the place and so God says, hey, even in all of that, I'm going to be at work trimming, cultivating, pruning. Why this is really important. Jesus tells us this in, in, in uh, John 15, chapter nine. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves the world. John 15, nine, Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Which means... That when God does the kind of work that we see in John 15, 2 of chopping off and trimming and pruning and cultivating, like things in God's people collectively and in things in our own lives, He's doing it because He loves us. Discipline is not about destroying. Discipline is not about grinding down. Discipline is actually God's hands-on work to do whatever it takes to make us into the people that he called and created us to be. And so God is going to do anything to remove things that stand in the way of our wholehearted love, pursuit, abiding in him. God has a vision, a picture for what the world is for, for what we are for, and when things go wrong, he's not absent, he's not gone, he's not disconnected. What is he doing? He is pruning lovingly, carefully, painfully, confusingly, cutting things away so that more life can come. I really love how um, C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. He uses a little bit different imagery uh, than Jesus does, but, but he says, hey, um, imagine this. Imagine yourself as a living house and God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on, which side note, Needs to happen in this building too, uh, because 100 year old buildings are super leaky. Um, So God comes in, he's doing that. He's doing all the work that you knew needed to be done. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and doesn't make sense. What on earth is he up to? He's building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So that's what that's that's what Jesus is saying in these verses. He's saying, "You will not know what's about to happen." What you can know is that in the middle of all of that, God is building you and forming you and cultivating you into the person, into the people that he always intended for you to be. And he's going to go to whatever lengths he needs to to actively work in us to bring forth greater dependence, to bring forth greater Christ-likeness, to bring forth greater love in us. And the problem is like we get super confused when that's happening, right? We we can't make sense of like, man, why are things, I thought I I was doing everything that I was supposed to do, uh, but things still feel like they are just getting worse. What's God doing? Jesus says, you know what the Father's doing he's pruning, he's disciplining, he's bringing more and more life in this time, in this season. That's what he's always done. That's what he's doing now. And that's what he is always going to do. So if that's, if that's how we kind of understand discipline, discipline is God's active, loving, merciful work of shaping us into the image of Christ, um, then what, 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 what maybe is it like for us to experience it? Where do we experience it? Um, and then what, what do we do with it? Um, I think there are two main places that we experience the discipline of God. And then I think there are three big reasons uh, that God actually brings discipline in our life. The first place that God brings discipline is corporately. He brings discipline to his people. Um, that's, that's what John 15, verse 2 is all about. Um, because notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So think about that. His disciples have read the Bible, they know the Bible really, really well. They know that all throughout the Old Testament, um, Israel is this thing that Jesus is talking about, right? And it's no surprise to them that they're not doing the thing that God called them to do. They've fallen way short. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that God's purposes for them weren't. Happening. And they all had a million reasons for why, uh, that, that, why that was the case. Some people were like, well, it's because we've uh, been too compromised and we have been too lax in maintaining our purity. So the way that we bear fruit, the way that we do what God wants to do in us is to be hyper vigilant, is to make sure that we have all the right rules, the right regulations in place, and we just like do not give ourselves rest until we purify ourselves into a place where God can use us and to bear and bring fruit. Other people would point to, you, well, the reason that we're not doing what God asks us to do is because there's been poor leadership. There's been poor failure. Um, we and other people were like, well, the the reason that it's not happening is because like we haven't like exploited our economic um, opportunities enough, or we haven't like grabbed onto all the power that we can get. There were a million opp- there were a million reasons why people could point to the fact that they weren't living up to what God had for them. But Jesus said, hey, don't miss that. All those things are right. All those things are real. All those things are true. But the bigger cause behind everything that's happening is because God is sovereignly working out the plan that he's always had for his people. All those things are true. All the things that we see in front of us are true and real. We can point to all the reasons why things are messed up. What Jesus wants you to see is that like, oh no, God from the beginning of time has always intended for his son to be the center of his work in the world. Not us. So he's going to cut away old ways of relating to God through performance, through ritual, and he's going to, through the cross, replace that old way of relating to him with his son through faith in him. God is bringing corporate pruning discipline on his people in in, in, in Jesus' crucifixion. Why? so that his grace, so that his mercy, so that his goodness, so that his kindness, so that his salvation can go out into all the world. That's what he was always intending on doing. I think the same thing is still true for us today. 1 Peter 4, 17 says that judgment begins in the house of God, that God is committed to his collective corporate people to form the image of Christ in us, and he will lovingly remove things correct us, redirect us, bring us to repentance. Why? So that we can experience more of him, more dependence on him, more of his life, more of his power, more of his fruit in all of the world. So we experience God's discipline corporately. We also experience it personally. If all those things are true about what God is doing, kind of big picture collectively in the world, it's true in your own lives also. Like that's the kind of God that he is. He's, he's not like a big picture thinker or just like a small relational um, guy who's focused on one thing. He, he, he holds all of that together. He can see the big picture and he can see you, the individual, and know where there are places or things in your life where you need correction, discipline, pruning. And again, why? So that you can have more of him more of his life in your life, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get there. So those are the two places I think we experience God's discipline corporately, personally, and here are um, things that he's doing as he disciplines us. Here's, Here's something that you need to know. Discipline isn't just corrective. God doesn't just discipline when something is wrong um, that uh, needs to be changed or corrective. There's actually like a formative kind of discipline that God does in our lives to remove distractions and recenter and refocus us on him. So here's the thing. We can have beautiful things happening in our lives. We can experience a lot of what Jesus calls fruit. In our lives, right? We are growing in love. We're actually growing in success. We're growing in uh, responsibility. We're growing in seeing God work and do things in our lives and it'll fall apart and God will remove it. Jesus says so right here. Um, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? so that it can bear more fruit. Friends, here's, here's the reality. We are always at risk of drifting and becoming so distracted that we lose focus on our first love. That's what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation uh, chapter two. He says, hey, I know your work's your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. He's saying, hey, you're doing all the right things. You look really great. You've held fast to everything that I've commanded you to do. You have a great reputation in the city. That's great. But he says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. So God will formatively bring discipline, bring pruning, bring correction in our lives, even in areas where we're doing really well. And the reason that he does it is to bring us back to him, closer to him, more connected to him, more dependent, abiding in him so that we can actually have more fruit, more of his presence, more goodness. Not all discipline is corrective. There is a formative, I'm gonna remove distractions, I'm gonna remove good things from you so that you will be forced to like come back to me, closer to me, more of me. So that's, like, that's, that's, one, that's one thing God is doing in discipline. Another thing he's doing is he's removing sin because, spoiler alert, we believe that we're all sinners, that we all have hidden areas in our lives. Maybe, maybe I mean, there, it's not always hidden. There are plenty of sins that we know about that we're aware of in our own lives that God is committed to bringing out, but there are, there are all sorts of areas in our lives that we're blind to, that we're ignorant of, and God we'll correct it lovingly, kindly, he'll cut back and he'll expose places where there's still sin in our lives, where there's still weakness in our lives. So that again, we might have more of him. Uh, turn turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 12 real quick. Um, it's on page 1008 in my Bible which I think means it's on page 1008 in the black Bible uh, in the pew in front of you. So in Hebrews 12, uh, the author is writing to this group of people who are collectively like experiencing a really hard time. They're struggling to hang on. They're wondering if following Jesus is worth it. Um, And he writes to them and he says in verse uh, five, Hebrews 12, verse five, he said, Hey, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? That's really important. He's going to talk about God's discipline, but he's going to say, hey, God disciplines you as his children, not as like an employee or a servant, but as a child who is heir to all things that he has. And so he says, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? And if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. So get that. Like God disciplines us because we're his kids because that's what he does. because he he loves us. We've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, so shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, we're going on vacation next week to Colorado, and I have, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be so good. Um, and I have, like, this vision in my head about what it's going to be like for my boys, you know? It's going to be great. We're going to be driving down I-70. We're going to be in awe of, I don't know, Kansas. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's like buffalo sometimes around Topeka, you know, so that's kind of cool. So I have this this picture. It's like, it's going to be this great road trip. We're going to have this great time. We're going to be refreshed. But I know that like 30 minutes into the trip, they're going to be like asking for a snack and whining and complaining and hitting each other and bored and asking to watch a show on the iPad. And I'm not going to know what to do. Like, I, I have this, like, idea and picture of how I can, like, lovingly, like, try to teach them, try to train them, try to help them, like, grow in, in maturity. But I, I just get, like, stuck if I'm just like, I, I, I don't know what to do in this situation in this time. Hebrews is telling us and Jesus is telling us and John that, like, God isn't like that. God has this picture, God has this vision for our lives, for what we were created for, how we were created to experience the world, how we were created to experience him. And he actually knows how to get us there. He actually knows how to accomplish it. That's what he's saying in Hebrews 12. God disciplines us because we're like we're his kids. Because he's wanting to produce something in us, to share in his holiness, this says. Which, by the way, no one gets to share in God's holiness, right? Through all the Old Testament, God is the holy one who doesn't share his glory or his holiness with anyone else. The New Testament says, well, he's actually sharing it with us. And the way he's producing it in us is by pruning, by disciplining, by cutting away things that are standing in the way of wholehearted love and obedience to him. So God will discipline to remove distraction. God will discipline to remove and correct sin. God will also uh, discipline, just really quickly, us to test us, uh, to, to, to show us what our lives are actually built on. What like uh, the, the, the strength, the quality, the reality of our faith. Listen to these words uh, at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beyond that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So God before this storm comes will actually bring discipline smaller storms into our lives to show us, hey, are we like the wise person or the foolish person? Are we built on the rock? Or are we built on sand? Because God would much rather show that to us before we get to the point that it's actually like too late to do anything about, us, about it. So God brings his discipline to bring us back to him, to correct sin, to test and show the reality of, of, of our faith. And in all of it, it's making us more like him uh, so just to conclude, what do, we, what do we do with this? How do we respond to it? How is this good news uh, when our hearts are troubled? The first thing that Jesus is trying to reveal in John 15 is that God is a zealous, passionate, loving Father who is hands-on. Yes. And he's hands-on in a way that is, yes, kind, Tender, gentle, loving, and and this is where we run into trouble because we don't know how these things can hold hold together, and painful. I like how one author calls God's mercy a severe mercy. He'll bring merciful things into our lives that are actually like severe, that hurt. And in the middle of all of that, he is making us more like him. So why is Jesus telling us to his disciples? Why is he telling it to us? It's because when, when we encounter uh, like storms, things crazy, expectations not being met, like we don't know what's going on. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Jesus is saying, well, th- this is where he is. He's Guiding all things in exactly the way he wants to. He is trimming, he is pruning, he is bringing about more life. So abide in him, hold fast. Like, submit to what he is doing. Ask God, like, God, like, in times that it's hard, will you show me, like, the reality of this? Will you show me your heart in this? Because right now it's confusing, it hurts, it, it's hard when he removes those distractions and we're tempted to just, like, replace them with other distractions. Like, fix your eyes on him. Don't watch Netflix. Like, fall on your face and pray. Seek him. Go after him. That's what he is calling you to. And... In areas where we are experiencing the real results of our sin and God's disciplining work in those areas, we believe the gospel and we repent. We don't try to like just, we can't, we don't justify ourselves. We don't like try to point to fruit in our lives. We just like grab hold of Jesus and abide in him. Trust him for repentance. Trust him that none who come to him will be ashamed or turned away. That the good news of the gospel is that in Christ there is actually redemption. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation before God. And that he will do everything to bring more life, to bring more fruit in us. So hold fast to him. Abide in him. And then there is this um, category. That I think we're all really aware of right now, um, just of the brokenness of the world, and how we are struggling to make sense of why things are so bad, and why things are so sad and like why it's so hard and why we're um, sad all the time. Like the, that's a real thing. The world is really broken we feel the effects of that brokenness like every single day as we go out, as we talk to our neighbors, as we wrestle through um, relationships. And in the brokenness of creation, Jesus is actually inviting us to again remember, hey, my father is pruning, he's trimming, he's bringing life. And that's actually, that's something more real than anything else that we experience than anything else that we see so we can trust him, we can abide in him. Each type of season, the response from us is the same. It's not to work really hard to make sure that we're more fruitful. It's not to work really hard to make sure that we are obeying everything that Jesus told us to do. Those things are important, those things matter. It's out of order though, if you'd focus on that before you focus on abiding in Christ. Like that's all he's calling you to over and over and over and over again when things are falling apart, when you're experiencing the pruning shears that hurt from the Father, hold fast to Him. And trust that one day, the end of Hebrews 12 is true, and that's going to produce a harvest of goodness, of righteousness, of love that is beyond anything that we experience right now. That's what we believe That's the good news of the gospel that in Christ, the worst has happened. He's taken on all of the sin, suffering, brokenness of the world on himself on the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God against sin, Satan, death. And he actually rose again into new life, leaving all of those things in the grave. That's objectively real. We don't think that that's a metaphor. We don't think that that's something that can help us just like make our way through the day a little bit easier. It's a good story to believe. We we actually think that's true, that that's a reality that we're going to one day experience in fullness. And right now we can actually catch little glimpses of that as we abide in Christ and hold fast to him. So I just want to end this the way we always end it by inviting you to come to communion. Because in communion, we're actually like enacting what Jesus is talking about right here. We're actually like, if you want to know what it is to abide in Christ, it's to take hold of him. It's to like bring him into your very life and your body. It's to believe that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is actually sufficient to make you not just right with God, but to restore and redeem all of the sinful, broken, dead areas of your life. So if you believe that, if your hope is in Jesus, then come and take communion with us. Celebrate the fact that all Jesus says is true and he is working a redemption. He's working to bring fruit in us, in our lives, in the world, even right now. If you're not a Christian, we're really, really glad that you're here. We do, um, it's what we believe. Our hope is in Jesus. Um, it's definitely not in us. Um, we don't have it together. We need him. We need to abide in him. If, you're, if you are curious about like what believing in Jesus would look like, we have people up here who would love to pray with you, people who would love to talk with you. We have some prayers in the back of the pews in front of you that could help guide some of your prayers. We'd rather you do that than take communion, though. Um, So the way that we do communion here is we're going to have three stations in the front. We'll have one station up in the balcony. Um, We'll come down to the center. Uh, On either side, there's going to be bread uh, with wine or juice. You can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine, which is in stoneware, or the juice, which is in glass. We'll also have a single-serve gluten-free station, which is uh, right up here uh, in the middle. There are two cups stacked on top of each other, a wafer in the bottom, uh, and then juice uh, on the top. Anyone who claims the name of Jesus is welcome to come. Um, also, like, if, if there are places in your life right now where uh, you feel unsteady or in need of help, like, we, we'd love to pray with you. Um, we, I really don't want church or this place, this thing that we do together to just be like, we get to sing some good songs and then listen to someone talk for 40 minutes. Like, we, we actually want to participate to pray for you, to pray with each other. So, like... Uh, we'll have people up here who would love to pray with you. Come find like just someone in the pew with you. Ask, ask them to pray with and for you and do business with God. So uh, I'm going to pray. And then uh, after I pray, we're going to sing a little bit more and come forward and take communion. So will you pray with me? So Father, I pray that you would be faithful to your word um, in all of the ways where we get confused when we experience uh, your pruning, your discipline in the ways that we get like um, sad and frustrated and angry and broken hearted. Um, will you meet us there? Will you give us the kind of peace that you promised? And Father, I just like, I wanna say that what, what you do and what you're doing is good. Even when it's painful, even when it hurts in our lives, when you cut things away, when you uh, discipline us, uh, we we believe that you're good. Like all the way down, you are a good father who loves us and is committed to us and is working a deep work of salvation and redemption in us. So will you give us faith to believe that? Will you fill our hearts and our lives with your love, with your hope, with your spirit? Um, And will you... Give us grace to abide in you. Yeah, Jesus, that's all we have is, is you. Um, so we're gonna hold on to you and trust you. So God, be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward when you're ready.